0: All right, so Matthew is this first gospel, right? And as soon as you turn from Malachi, you probably have a page there that says New Testament, so the one-minute break was appropriate, and then you split the next page, and you hit Matthew. And Matthew is a disciple of Jesus, right? A former tax collector who came into contact with Jesus and was called as a disciple. And he has written this gospel seemingly to Jewish Christians, people who are uh, ethnically Jewish, who have come to faith in Jesus. And then he is giving an account of the life uh, of Jesus. And the structure to the book is actually really, really interesting. We get this intro in Matthew uh, chapters 1 through 4 that consists of a genealogy. It consists of the birth of Jesus. It consists of... um, John the Baptist preparing the way, which we kind of just saw foretold at the end of Malachi. Well, right there in Matthew chapter three, here he is on the scene, preparing the way. And then we get a temptation. And if you skip all the way to the end, that's the intro, there's a conclusion of Matthew 26 through 28, which is kind of the the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Those two things kind of bookend all of Matthew. And in between there, we've got these five sections of Matthew that are teaching and narrative, teaching and narrative, teaching and narrative, and they kind of go back and forth a lot and progress us through this ministry of Jesus. And all the while, we seem to kind of have this building tension the whole way through. When we get to Matthew's chapter five through nine, you all are probably familiar somewhat with Matthew chapter five through seven. That's the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the most famous sermon in all of the Bible. Jesus is definitely most popular sermon in Matthew five through seven, where he is teaching on what, what people of God are to be like. We'll find some things that they have heard in the Old Testament scriptures in order to try to communicate what they ought to live like. And then we get these this narrative. And the same thing kind of happens, so on and so forth. And in, Matthew's, in Matthew chapter five through nine, uh, there's, a, there's a really helpful structuring from Mark Dever in his book, Messages of the New Testament, that I think is helpful in communicating this tension that rises. We get Jesus proclaiming this authority in Matthew five and nine. And then when he teaches in 10 and 12, in the narrative, we also start to get like, what it looks like when there's opposition to this authority. And then in 13 through 16, we get this, there are some who are gonna believe and there are some who not who are not, this polarization almost. And then in 16 through 18, we get Jesus teaching his disciples on discipleship. And then in 19 through 25, we get this section of Jesus teaching on judgment, or maybe more specifically, what it's gonna be like for those who don't submit to his authority and don't believe in who he is. And then we get the, the, the bookend of the death, resurrection of Jesus. So that's kind of how that, that structure is somewhat working. But we obviously don't have a lot of time. And so before we even start to dive into a couple of themes, I'm gonna give you the one thing that I told my students if they didn't remember anything else from Matthew, what I wanted them to know. And if you wanna know what Matthew's about in a single sentence, it is this, Jesus, is the king. He is the king, the one ruler for all time. He is the king. And when you turn to your your first page in Matthew and you look at chapter one, you're gonna see that there's a genealogy there. And that from the get-go is establishing this lineage of Jesus, he's the king. And when you read through that, you're gonna see this reference to Abraham, this reference to David, and that is meant to trigger in the minds of the people who are reading this, oh, this is the one who's supposed to be coming. 12, and that all the, family, this is the one who's, who was promised. And when you read Abraham's name, you think Genesis chapter 12, and that all the families of the earth are gonna be blessed. And when you see David's name, you're thinking second Sam, Samuel chapter seven, that there's a, there's a greater king coming at some point. Jesus is the, is the king. And from the outset of the book, Matthew wants you to know that and not to miss it. <clears throat> We're going to divide up this kind of kingship theme into, into three sections that I think are helpful for us to understand Matthew. And the first thing is when you think of a king, all of you are hopefully thinking of authority, a ruler. A sovereign, if you will, which there's perhaps never been a more accurate term for sovereign than Jesus. We use that term to refer to kings or rulers all the time. Well, this is the the sovereign, the king. He has full authority, and Matthew gives us this authority kind of throughout, and he 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 paints it very clearly for us. So, turn really quickly to uh, Matthew chapter. Seven, And this is the very tail end. This is fresh off the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus has been covering seemingly almost every topic under the sun. In youth, we did this in 14 weeks and we covered everything you could possibly think of from lust and anger to divorce, oaths, retaliating, loving your enemies, anxiety, worry, um, the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus covers a ton in this. And then at the tail end of it, I want you all to see how the crowd responds to Jesus after his teaching, and it is in verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Right, when Jesus speaks, when Jesus teaches, he's he's not just teaching like a scribe or a Pharisee, someone who has read the Old Testament and understands it. He's definitely not teaching like me or Womble, who's someone who has, Well, why? No, it's as if he's the one who spoke them into existence. Well, why? Because he's the king. He has authority. He's the one who has made the rules and he's teaching them what it's like to live as people who love and follow God. He's authoritative one in his teaching. If you fast forward though, a little bit to Matthew chapter 8, Uh, Matthew's painting this authority picture really, really clearly for us. And we're going to read a short excerpt here from Matthew chapter 23 all the way through chapter 9, verse 8. And it's going to show us a lot about, about his authority. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? His authority extends even towards all of creation. I can't even get my dog to listen to me when I tell him to stop doing something or I ask him to do something, but here Jesus is with full authority over all creation and the winds and the waves obey him. This is... Real authority. This is the real king of all. <clears throat> Verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon possessed men met him coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. Now this, this section right here is sandwiched in between Jesus calming a storm, and then our next text and Matthew is still communicating something about authority. We saw that in that last little section, Jesus having full authority over all creation. Well, he also has full authority over even even the demons here. They are to him and his authority. There is nothing outside of that rule. Keep going in in chapter nine. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has, key on that next word there, authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed. And go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. When we talk about full authority, it's one thing to talk about Jesus' authority and his teaching, it's another thing to talk about how he is completely in control over creation, and that even the demons are subject to what he says. But here we see something very unique, and it is the hope that we put our faith in. He has the authority to forgive sin. And this is, this is the God man, the one that they've all been hoping for, the one that Malachi prophesies right here at the end. And here Matthew is communicating to us, here he is in all his power, in all his glory, in all his authority, the one who is going to come to forgive sin. So as the king, he has, he has full authority one of the other things that Matthew does for us is that he is communicating that this this ruling, this kingship, Matthew is writing specifically, I think, to Jewish Christians, but this kingship, this rule, it's for all people. It is for all people, for all time, for those who would believe and trust in who he is. Now, <clears throat> we just skipped something in Matthew chapter eight, but I wanna draw your attention to a little bit. It is for all people, and Matthew has a ton who were Christian, or not, sorry, not, not not Christian, non-Jewish people who are being blessed by Jesus or who understand something about him. We see it in the genealogy and the fact that there are people included in here, um, like women. And then in chapter eight, we have Jesus touching a leper in order to cleanse him. That's something that would have made people quite upset. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty, though. We've got the wise men in chapter two who are not. Jewish at all, they are from the east coming, and they are getting on their knees, and they are worshiping. We've got Matthew, who's a tax collector, someone you shouldn't associate yourself with, yet he's called by Jesus. We've got blind men who proclaim him, and then this was, I think, going to be the call to worship at one point, point. <clears throat> and then we've got in Matthew 28, Jesus giving a commission to to the disciples that you all have probably heard before, right, but in, in verse 18 it says, and Jesus came and said to him, to them all authority, which was a point from a second ago, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Throughout Matthew's gospel, it doesn't matter who he comes into contact with, what kind of person they are, what ethnicity they are, what they've done. It doesn't matter if they're coming to Jesus, they can be part of the kingdom of heaven. And he makes that so clear over and over again. One of the things that I also point out to the youth regularly through this, or as a lot of people call youth regularly through this series, is that. When you read through Matthew, Jesus has a lot of people calling him things. They, they are referencing him in a certain way. And what we notice throughout that gospel, and this is just Matthew being a really, really excellent writer, is that the people who understand who Jesus is, they refer to him by a proper title. They either call him Lord, son of David, Peter calls him son of God, but the people who don't, they don't reference him properly. The Pharisees never call him that. It's always teacher, it's always rabbi, but the people who understand him or who understand something about who he really is, they call him Lord, and that comes from the mouth of the people you would least expect. Jesus is the king for all people who would come to believe and trust in him, and Matthew makes that so, so clear. But a third thing, and Matthew clearly communicates this really well is too, is that Jesus is the king, he has all authority and he's the king for all people. But when you talk about a king, you're talking about someone that you're supposed to follow. And Jesus is the king, makes it very clear, he is somewhat demanding our allegiance. He is expecting that from us and he is asking for those who would believe and trust to follow him. Look really quick in Matthew chapter 8, and this uh, will be in verse 18. This is Jesus talking to the crowds. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you has nowhere to lay. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now that's, that's a section where Jesus is talking about following Jesus is costly. Flip forward to chapter 16. And in verses 24 through 25. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus is there now talking about the need for them to, regardless of what it costs them, to follow him. And then of course, this culminates in the very end of the book, right? Matthew, for the great writer that he is, as we follow this story of Jesus, teaching, proclaiming his authority, forgiving sin, doing it for the least likely people, and we read about him culminating in his death and burial and resurrection, he does not leave us wondering, what are we supposed to do? Knowing what we know about Jesus, trying to understand what we've read, what do I do now? He has made that so clear throughout the book, the way Jesus has asked for his disciples to follow him, and then it culminates right here in the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and he has commanded them a whole lot. If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, you know he's commanded them a whole lot. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age, he is demanding their allegiance. He is asking them to follow and therefore go and tell everyone else about who he is and what he's done and how salvation has been accomplished and that they can be saved too. He is demanding that allegiance. And when he does that though, I want you guys to see this last part and then we will pray. When he demands that allegiance, he also promises his presence. In verse 23, right there at the end, and behold, I am with you all to the end of the age. He has promised his presence. Matthew was really, really good for our students. It was, um, we were confronted with a lot. We had to think through a lot. But one thing that was just so evidently clear the whole way through is that this is the king. This is the king, the ruler of all things for all times. And my prayer for them on a regular basis was that that meant that he was the ruler for them too and the ruler for me too. And that we were living in subject to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this study on, on these whole books at a time. As, as challenging and difficult as it is to maybe condense and think through. Um, God, it's, it's really edifying for us to think through these, these books on this large level and to be reminded of who you are and what you've done and how you've revealed yourself throughout scripture. And one of the great things about Matthew is we get the first time of you revealing yourself through your son. And for us being made aware that this is, this is the king for all people for all time who would come to believe and trust in him. And I pray that that would be true for all of us. We pray all these things in his name, amen.